1: How you day? How you day? It's another day to be great. And today we are talking about cross-cultural perspectives that you can gain from travel. Today's guest is Andy Steves, and a lot of what we talk about are ways to broaden your horizons and how you can learn something about the differences around you. You know, what is the cultural importance of travel? What is the difference between fear and safety? What are the best cities to travel to if you want to learn about nuance? You know, the specific difference with europe and the United States and how understanding these differences can help you understand the world hope you enjoyed the episode this is definitely a fun one for me I, I geek out about these type of topics because it's reminiscent of how I grew up but I also think as we become more globalized and more digitalized an effort to understand our neighbors as well as the impact of what that could be for our future is so key in developing the next set of global leaders so Hope you enjoy and check it out. Love you. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Andy Steves of Weekend Student Travels. That's his company. Andy has been traveling practically since he was born. First, it was touring Europe with his renowned father, Rick Steves. And you can find him basically anywhere online. He's got a lot of content. Uh, to detail what he does in travel and um you know how he's basically made a name for himself. But now he splits his time with between Prague, Medellin, and his home city of Seattle when he's not traps in and going all over Europe and running around as a award-winning company weekend student adventures. We're gonna dive into a lot of things today, particularly because this podcast is about communicating effectively across cultures, we're gonna dive into the cultural importance Of traveling outside of the US and the difference between fear and safety when traveling. I'm very, very looking forward to this for a long time. So, welcome to the show.
0: Teo, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here chatting with you about travel. And uh, I like what you said about cross cultural connections. Man, that's so important these days.
1: It is. It is. It is. uh, You know, it's been my life. It seems like it's also your life as well. I imagine, you know, you always. Uh, traveling around with your dad, you learned a lot of things and you picked up on several identity or code switching uh, that that is normally uh, the case with a lot of of kids of uh, parents who travel a lot. So I'll look to dive into that as well. But let's start there. We're looking at the world today and I want to juxtapose that with your your youth. When you look at the world today, you see what's being promoted. A lot of division, a lot of my way is better than your way, nationalism, um, we don't want you to contain our culture, and you look at how you grew up, how does that jive with you?
0: That's a that's a big question. I don't know how much time we got. But, got <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a cliche quote. I forget who it's from. But um, it says, those who forget history are bound to repeat it. And I think if you look at the the, the dialogue today, the xenophobia, the um, otherism that's happening both domestically in our country, in the U.S. and around the world, it's pretty scary. And right now I'm training um, up to, to lead some pretty serious three-week tours through Europe. Serious, but also a lot of fun. Um, It's my responsibility to communicate culture and history across, you know, these seven countries in Europe. And um, and so right now I'm studying 20th century Europe. And when a population is economically frustrated, when there's people who feel disadvantaged, when opportunities disappear for whatever reason, um, you can see a clear pattern of ostracizing other people. Or blaming other cultures. And um and man, I tell you, it's such an important topic to discuss these days because um the the same thing that's going on now was happening to populations back in nineteen thirties, Germany and Europe. And in the sixteen hundreds, you know, there was other conflicts against the Christians and the Muslims and the Crusades all the way back in the eleventh century. I'm not trying to bust into a uh you know, a history lecture here, but it is so important to have a broad view on the world today, and that's what travel does.
1: No, I mean it's what you said. When you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. And the fact is, we all need to be intimate with the history to understand what's going on today. There's the reason for any war, any war in the past and today has been because someone said, "I don't like what you're doing, what you believe for, what you stand for. You're different from me. You have a different religion." And there's a lack of understanding of the other side. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that is that is plain and rare and so ugly head in many many forms today, which is so important to me. Uh, and it's why I love what what you do and what your dad does as well as a kid, when, you know, your, your dad, Rick Steves, everybody knows who Rick Steves is. And you, you, I don't know what, what it was like for you, but when you, you found yourself constantly moving, how was that like initially? And then what did you learn about yourself from that experience?
0: Sure. So, um, again, great question, uh, to kind of set the scene, um, the way I grew up with my family and our travels was that my dad would go to Europe about three months each year from Easter until August or so, and just about time to go back to school. And um, and so that's a long time to be away from your family. So my mom and my sister and I would go visit him about halfway through the trip for two or three weeks to break up that long separation and, um, and so each year we would kind of line up with our, my dad's trip in another place in Europe. One year is it Italy, another year Black Forest in Germany, uh, one year Scotland, another, uh, Ireland. So. Every year we would go out, but guess what? It was always exactly at the end of the school year. My parents would pull us out about a week early before school was out. And, of course, that's the, the one fun week of school when you you know <laughs> are on, on good behavior all year to earn your duck bucks or whatever good behavior currency your, your second grade teacher used. Um, so I had a mountain of them, but uh, uh, my parents would pluck me out of class and take me to Europe. So that among uh, missing end-of-school-year parties and my friends' birthdays, Uh, It wasn't always. uh, I didn't always have my rosy glasses on. That being said, it really did make me feel comfortable in Europe year after year. I'd pick up friends, um, and then when I had the chance to study abroad in Rome in 2008 uh, during my junior year at Notre Dame, um, that's when I real really realized what a beautiful continent it was, and more importantly, I realized that when I push myself beyond my comfort zone, when I take myself out of the American bubble, if you know what I mean, um, and put myself into situations surrounded by locals, Italians speaking only the local language, I found that's where the real magic of travel happens. Um, and so ever since that that period in my life, and when I was about 20, 21 years old, I realized this is my passion, and this is what I've been pursuing for the last geez 10 10 11 years and uh uh the 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 key point here is that when you cross those cultural boundaries it puts a face on those people so to bring it back to how we started the conversation politicians for years have been saying oh let's just bomb the shit out of iran or let's bomb the shit out of isis well obviously isis is horrible but they're they're hiding out among civilian populations and we ha- it's the world is more nuanced than that and again travel helps put a face on those people so we can begin to understand them. Cause that's where that's, that gives us the greatest chance for peace.
1: Gosh, you're speaking my language here. So I, you know, I, I, I go to give talks and all this all the time. And one of the things I always say is that the world is governed by binary systems in a world that is filled with nuance, right? There's no one that is quite one thing, just one thing or the other. And the danger that we have when we try to force people to put them in the box and say, all, you know, black people are this. All Arabs are this. Or Americans are uh-huh. that. Is it is you miss out on humanizing, and connecting, and understanding how to really get people to to be separated from stereotypes that you've created, whether it's through media mm-hmm. or or false stories. Which is why history is also very important. And I imagine. That what you're saying here, the cultural importance of, of traveling outside of the United states i'm from outside the United states I'm from Nigeria, so it's mm-hmm. uh, mine would be <laughs> my experience has been the re- the reverse uh is is you're really encouraging people to start doing this at a young age and and from from what I've read about you, you try and get millennials to take a gap here after high school or college and 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 do that in exchange for actually in in yeah in exchange for the corporate jobs and just you want them to explore an international adventure why do you feel like this is so important for people to do after high school or college
0: yeah i um let's see i think everybody there's a there's a track for everybody whatever it might be i think maybe i'm curious about where you read that cuz um for me i was in college in 2005 6 7 8 9 right when the economy was going sideways and right. so as we were graduating, none of my friends and I, we figured like, well, there's no way we're going to get the job we want. So uh, like half of my friends just continued on with a master's and then some continued on to a PhD, which is great on paper. But by the time you're 30, you have zero real world experience. It's going to be hard to find an employer that, that wants that. Um, and, and so I feel like it's, whether you study abroad, whether you travel independently over the summer or whether you take a gap year, I think you can learn a ton. And definitely the gap year is one where you can um, learn a lot about yourself and it's at exactly the right time in your life where you got to develop that independence. It's kind of like, uh, sink or swim or you know getting pushed out of the the nest as a little baby bird <laughs> uh, you know the mom just kind of kicks them out when she thinks that they can fly and and they do their best and uh, you learn really quickly you'll have challenging experiences for sure maybe you'll you'll get pickpocketed and lose everything but that's when you really learn about yourself and that's where you can really um, also learn about the world and how to communicate with people in completely different cultures um, uh, yeah
1: Yeah, well, then let's address those fears because that's something I hear all the time. You know, people, I remember when I first came here, people used to be surprised that I came out. They were like, how did you make it out alive from Nigeria? It's like Mm. a very archaic place, right? It's, it's like the Lion King. And they used to say all these weird things to me. And, (laughs) you know, people would sing things do. I mean, like, what do you mean? And for me, obviously, when I took myself out of the, conversation and froze for moments I wasn't too offended you could could understand where they got those stories from so how do you address those that that fear thin, that safety thin, when you're going to a different place that you might not have have seen uh, seen rather how can you speak to those myths and the reality?
0: Um, I like to talk in anecdotes so um, for me I'm calling you from Medellin right now Medellin colombia uh anytime you have a double l in this region in this accent uh, of the people that live here they they pronounce it as a j sound rather than l like a y sound like in classic spanish so they call it medellin um I love to go to places where most gringos, most Americans, Westerners are afraid to go um, when I'm not working in Europe. So, um, you know, me and my sister, we traveled to Rio and uh, Buenos Aires. We went to Southeast Asia, um, traveled to some pretty interesting places over the years. And um, then I had a chance to come to Colombia. and my family was like, Andy, why the hell are you going to Colombia? What's there? And then even when I was on the flight from Miami to Bogota to connect into the country, for the first time I was sitting next to an old lady who started taking notes down to tell me all the safe and dangerous neighborhoods Mm. and (laughs) Mm. and so as I'm coming in on this flight looking down at night uh on you know kind of the yellow lights of the city I'm like what the hell did I get myself into um but uh as soon as I touch down you know you just take your time and be very aware of your surroundings trust your gut and remember that fear is different from being safe um and remember that those are two different things, and being fearful doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. So I find that when you're traveling, just pay attention and, uh, you know, stay calm and really trust your gut. I, this is coming from a, a six foot two white male that speaks English. I mean, I, I have it as easy as can be, um, going through and, uh, and co- communicating in my, original language and everybody from denmark to japan needs to to learn my language in order for us to communicate you know what i mean but uh uh but so far i've been able to stay out of trouble for the most part um get around as much as i need to and get what i need whether it's medicine food drinks whatever so um i'm happy to go into any other specifics but uh no but, yeah, good it's it's people forget how dangerous it is to just live in the States. I mean, our gun violence is insane. Um, you know, 30, 35,000 people are killed by guns every year, mostly in, um, you know, single shootings uh, where, where one person is killed. Our media dramatizes mass killing so much and that stays on the air for months every time it happens um, but the but the majority and the the true tragedy is just the the suicides the accidental shootings and um, and then the intercultural uh, violence uh, and and i just feel like more guns is not the solution so no. anyways i don't mean to rant
1: <laughs> no it's okay it's okay this is this is your platform um, no i love that i love the distinction you made between being fearful and what safety actually is uh, i'll also add Oh, You know, much like anything, when you go to New Environment, doing research is key. You know, this is all about we need to learn how to humanize other people. So do the research. Call the people. Make sure you have um, things that they're familiar around. Do things that you already normally do and build community around that. If you love soccer or, as I normally like to say, football, but whatever. Anyways, (laughs) if you love the round ball that you actually play with your foot or if you love uh, basketball or music, you know, Find things around those things uh, and, and, you know, build communities around that. Um, And gradually you start to find your way around those things. And, you know, also, like you said, when you get lost and stuff um, sometimes happens, some of the best experiences can come out of that as well.
0: Definitely. For me, that's a that's a tip that I've been sharing for years. Bring your hobbies and your passions and your interests with you while you travel, um, because immediately you customize your experience to whatever gets you most excited. Um, and the great news is it's usually free or very uh, affordable. Um, so much of tourism today has been mass produced or designed to be become very profitable because now it's big smart business it's it's i don't know it's like half of europe's economy you know um and and so they've become very smart about marketing a all, all these activities to tourists whether it's from paris or rome or dublin all these options that you have in front of you cost like 25 bucks and it's easy to blow through three hundred dollars in a day. But if you bring your own interest, whether it's cycling or jogging or yoga or you know, um, um, you know, flag dancing, whatever, whatever it is that you're into, just Google it and see what events and what clubs and what meetup groups are going on in those places that you're going to travel to, and and uh, get involved. And that's been a great way to to connect with with people from different cultures and backgrounds.
1: No, I love that. I love that. So, a lot of your experience growing up, and even now as an adult, is you spent a lot of time in Europe. I, and Europe is, you know, it's a continent with different types of cultures. But I'm very interested in what you would say the difference is between Europe and the United States.
0: Oh, there's... Good question. Start, you so can start the off with
1: identity. You can start off with city-wise. I'm just curious because... Sure. I, I, I lived in Europe as well. I lived in Sweden, and I have a lot of family in England. But... Sure. After the World Cup, listening and, and listening to some people talk about immigration, um, and listen to a lot of my European friends who talk to me as a Nigerian living in the United States talk about certain things here and a lot of Americans talk about Europe, it's very clear that, you know, there are very different ways of doing different things. So I'm yeah. curious as to what your perspective is.
0: Sure. Well, Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be fun to talk about. So Europe and the States, they're about the same size. There's 740 million Europeans... And 325 million Americans. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, um, to compare the countries, they're relatively similar in size and GDP. Um, the country of the, uh, of the states, USA, versus the continent of Europe, all of those added together. Right. Um, but they have double the population. And so, uh, more than double the population. And so what you're looking at here is a continent that is much more dense, has a lot more people in it, um, many more languages, many more, you know, in the states, it's it's relatively diverse, but but people have been coming for generations, and they're all kind of blending, to, um, uh, amalgamating, or blending together. Kind of melting pot is the classic expression. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but in Europe, you still have very distinct uh, identities, whether it's Scandinavian or Irish Catholic, or um, you know uh, uh, French um, co- ex-colonial immigrants that have come into France from Europe uh, from Africa. Africa, And so you have all these different cultures and languages and um, they can coexist peacefully. But the issue right now in Europe is it has a uh, population demographic triangle in the wrong direction. What I mean by that is it's aging. European women have on average, I think, 1.2 kids uh, each on average, something like that, 1.5. Whereas uh, in the states we also are growing, but in a very different way. Uh, The white population, or the you know uh, Caucasian Americans, tend to have less kids. Whereas uh, uh, there's more Hispanic, uh, you know, Hispanic families have tended to be bigger over the last generation or 20 years or so. So what we're seeing is that um, uh, in American politics you have this xenophobia of you know the right wing saying in in 20 30 years uh, white people are going to be the minority, and this is just setting off a alarm bells to all these people who are scared of different cultures in Europe. You have um, two things. You have a long familiarity with different populations living very close together peacefully and sometimes not peacefully, many times not peacefully, but you still have that history. Um, And so it's a very interesting time to see what's going on because you add that xenophobia to economic hardship and you have exactly what's going on right now. France, England, Poland, German, uh, Germany, all have uh, uh, right-wing um, uh, extremist groups that are coming up to the mainstream. I mean, even uh, even the Front National was in the uh, finals or the, the the presidential vote in France last year. Thank goodness, uh, uh, what's her name, Marine Le Pen, didn't make it all the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you still have. Again, to to compare and contrast, you know, uh, the density of diversity in Europe is is many times that what we have uh, in the States. That being said, the, the U.S. is a beautiful country, lots of good people, but uh, we just got to stay smart and not clamp on to the, well, let, let me say it this way, not be passive uh, consumers of uh, of news. The last thing I would say, because of that density of diversity in Europe, the density of population, they are raised to consume a lot less they consume much less gas they consume much less energy and electricity they they create much less garbage than americans because we have the space and we have the uh the backyard to 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 create these massive uh landfills out of sight of most people so um when you get to europe and other countries all around the world in fact everybody consumes less than this than the states and americans so um that's (laughs) that's one thing that you'll see um pretty clearly
1: Look, Andy, I, I know you do a lot of travel shows, but I really feel like you should, you should do one that really highlights this because it's, there's so much nuance there. And, and mm-hmm. even listening to you talk about, you know, the, the difference in the continent, I get excited by this because I have this conversation with a lot of my European friends. I have, in Nigeria, we, we were colonized by England. So, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like the one, one, one of the few in my family that decides to venture off here. But another thing that I've noticed. Uh, and you, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong is sometimes I, when I have conversations with people, they think uh, people in Europe, they, they think that America is so focused on race and all these conversations and identity like African-American, Asian-American, Chinese-American, all that. And there, particularly uh, if you look at this uh, soccer with France, when people were saying, oh, we got to, you know, look like we're making a joke. France won the World Cup. The French m uh, the French ambassador sent a letter to Trevor Noah here to to basically scold him and say how dare you say that when uh. it's France like this is this is our we we sing La Marseille, this is us and it was so interesting to me where when Trevor Noah responded he said all he was trying to say is that you can have you can be both and it, it doesn't take away from the other and yeah. a lot of people in France were so mad like what is why you're french you came here so that's it and so i'm just curious about whether you've mm-hmm. noticed any of that
0: well no there there's all sorts of i I would see in those graphics that you that you were mentioning uh, half the french team is colonial french uh, yeah. expats or whatever whatever they're called um and so i don't see anything wrong with calling that out i mean they it, they are they, they are where they are and they they came from where they came from um i think that's something to be i don't i don't think that takes away at all from the win right, i mean it's exactly. uh, france still won and they're wearing the blue um the blue jersey and and there you go um a lot of Europeans tend to laugh at Americans yes. uh, and the way we claim we cling to our identity and this is something uniquely American because yeah. for example i i went to notre dame and if, uh, inevitably you know when you're having your conversations in freshman year everybody has so so what are you what's your heritage and everybody says like well i'm half english and a quarter german and a quarter <laughs> danish or whatever that's such bullshit your family's been in the country for 150 years you're american yeah. you know and, and so Amer- uh, Europeans tend to call that out and say no you're american sure you might have um heritage but you can't say I'm I, I'm Irish uh American when you're sixth generation um and, and so that that I'm in, included in that we have We've tracked our family back to 1824 uh, County Cork, Ireland. And uh, I had the chance to between my talks in universities in Dublin and Limerick and Galway and and, uh, Cork, I had a chance to take a a rental car out to the famine church where where my uh, four times great grandparents were married in 1824 and um, like William Condon and uh, Catherine um uh, something or other, I forget. But uh, uh, it was really special to connect with exactly this this ruin of a church. It only had the stone sidewalls and the bookends of the church. The wooden roof had long disappeared, and it had turned into kind of a uh, an eerie uh, graveyard, like a famine graveyard and a famine church. A, a third of Ireland lost its population to to famine, and a third of Ireland lost its population to emigration, and left a million. And the country still. Had hasn't recovered from, uh, from that population loss. But anyways, um, for me, it's something special to connect with that identity for sure. Um, but I think Americans are pretty hung up on this whole question of it. Uh, we're, we're all Americans. We're all in this together. And I think better ideas come from more ideas. Better, better processes come from more perspectives. And I think it's so important to bring people together on what we share in common rather than divide, uh, d- divide them as, as our current president is doing.
1: You know, it's interesting for me. I, I'm, you know, I, I was born in Niger. Um, I came from a country where, you know, I lived in five countries, four continents, because of my dad's job as a diplomat. And initially, first part of my life, majority, you're the majority, and then I started to go to different parts of the world where I was the minority, and all your differences were pointed out. Uh, you know, as a ten, eleven-year-old kid, that's a very interesting uh place for an identity. And uh-huh. my identity crisis led me to sort of just figure out a code switch and understand different cultures and different things. And I I remember the first time I came across an American because I went to an American National Middle School. And, you know, that question came up, where are you from? Quarter Irish, quarter this, quarter that. <laughs> and then uh, um I, I, the more I've lived here, especially with uh people from underrepresented groups, I found that that tied to identity is actually something that's empowering for them, where um, they feel like, wow, I'm embracing um, an element of myself, and I'm still keeping that that part of my uh, my identity. And, and and you see that with representation. Black Panther came out. You saw what came out, where people were like, wow, this is great to see us on the screen. And then Crazy Rich Asians just came out as well, which is another thing with with the uh, the Asian population. So I mean, I, I I so I understand where it comes from as well. And then on the other end where a lot of Europeans would say, well, look, you're just that. You're just that. I think that there's nuance in, in between that where mm-hmm. isn't it possible to still be a, a person of a country, but also be able to just like you traced your history back to 1800s to be able to know that? Because I think knowing that will help us with part of what's going on in today's world where I think we're just drawing these lines of division. And we're forgetting <laughs> how it came about, you know, how oh, yeah. how what that person got here in the first place and how that came about. And I don't know. It's just my thoughts. It's just I, I know I think the answer is in the middle somewhere.
0: And, yeah of course, um, of course. Yeah, people yeah. should definitely um, hang on to their identity, but not to the point where it excludes people. I mean, if dang you look well, at a lot dang. of the saying, um, if you look at a lot of the population in the south, they are Irish Americans that came in that in that famine wave as well. Um, bluegrass, you know like like backwoods country style of music it directly derives from Irish um, folk music. And um, when they arrived, there were signs hanging on the stores no Irish wanted um, you know or hiring no your Irish need apply. Um, the Irish were ostracized as the you know garbage uh, le- leftovers of Europe, and nobody wanted them. But you know, uh, Statue of Liberty says, "Give us your you're hungry, your poor, your tired." Um, and and I think it's so strange to 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 what's it called? Kind of pick and choose the the uh, for, from America's founding values it's just so bizarre separation of church and state you know a, a well-regulated militia has the right to bear arms you know all these things that how can you how can you piece that apart and only take the the handful of words that mean something to you that you want you know so so it's just um i think i think we're starving for an intelligent conversation i think intelligent conversations are are, are important right now
1: <laughs> well no thank you and and that's exactly what you know it's been interesting for me to observe is I just see a lot of picking and choosing and that you said it better than, than I was trying to say. And, um, I, and whenever I look at it, I'm like, well, I, your arguments aren't consistent <laughs> because whenever you see people campaign, except for the last election, <laughs> it's like, we are a melting pot. And then whenever someone's trying to rally to someone's base, they say the right things. And then after that, it's, it's like, I don't know. And so I I, lo- I love what you're saying. And I think, um, mm understanding the differences between Europe and America um, is very, very key because I've always said colonialism and slavery are cousins, and they've sort of laid down the, the foundation for a lot of what goes on in the world today.
0: So, yeah, they're, they're hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, you colonialize to... to rape, pillage, and plunder, and, and, and extract. Yes. Like, the only point of colonialization was extraction of wealth under the guise of spreading a religion.
1: Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, And as, as someone who's seen firsthand what, what that has led to, I'm, I'm always like, that history has to be known. And um, you know, when you take people's identity away, there's that longing to want to get it back. And so it's, it's that level of understanding, and it shouldn't be translated as fear you're taking over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. What are the best cities uh, for millennials right now, in your opinion?
0: Oh man, um, here's the thing. I, I have a personal dilemma right now. Like, I my entire background is is Europe. I've traveled uh, almost everywhere in Europe. Love it. People are great, but it's getting more and more expensive. More and more crowded. Uh, I feel like there's a new middle class of, of course, Americans, but also Indians, Chinese, Japanese. Um, there was a point 10 years ago where tourism really did take a hit because, um, traveling is kind of the, the fun budget that comes last in most people's pocketbook, you know, and, and so that was the first thing to get cut when when belts got tighter. And so um it, it really went down. But now, you know, the Coliseum, the Eiffel Tower at Big Ben is just so crowded um that I'm looking to to get off the beaten path. That's why in Europe I really like going um to kind of not secondary cities, but uh not not the top ten and so uh Krakow uh Budapest might be well in the top ten by now. um I've been living in Prague for the last six years, but now that's been it's just been getting crowd more and more crowded more and more expensive because again, tourism Europe has been optimized so that they know in the in the tourist center you'll pay three dollars for a bottle of water. tourists will pay three dollars for a bottle of water, they'll pay exactly exactly sixteen. For a sit down lunch, they'll pay exactly 36 for dinner, um, as long as it's nice, you know, and, and so just very quickly, you're eating kind of downtown Seattle, San Francisco, New York prices, uh, throughout your trip. So that being said, I've loved traveling around Colombia. I'm here in Medellin where bre- breakfast delivered to your door, eggs, arepa, which is kind of like a puck of uh, food or not food but uh bread um uh cheese juice fresh juice and a coffee is two dollars and fifty cents lunch delivered is four dollars and a dinner date for two with a drink is about 20 bucks. Oh, wow. And, and so coming from Seattle, where to do that would cost 100 bucks out the gate just for dinner, Um it's just so nice to be able to live in a place where um I, I can, you know, I'm not making that much money, but I can make enough to just live very comfortably here, whereas I'd be in a apartment, you know, 40 minutes outside of the, outside of uh, seattle um you know just e- e- eating noodles and rice <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on on the same budget so um, when i'm not home visiting family when i'm not in europe working, i've been hanging out in uh, in medellin recently
1: wow wow okay medellin um and, and then you mentioned some of the eastern european countries which actually don't get enough love as they should i've heard Croatia is beautiful um, oh, yeah. I've heard parts of Poland. My favorite place in Europe is, is Greece. And I know that's, mm-hmm. I know that's a popular destination for tourists, but I, I can't get past Santorini. Santorini is just gorgeous to me. Um, yeah. But I, I always recommend that. So, um, I love that you, you know, you brought South America as well. Imagine my, um, business partner is from, uh, uh, Colombia as well. So, mm, she's always that's talking great. about, she's from Cartagena. So,
0: ah, yeah. Kostinja.
1: Yeah. So she's, so it's,
0: she's, yeah. it's been fascinating kind of, uh, how to put this without sounding kind of hoity toity, but um, you know, I grew up traveling every year to Europe. So the, the, the newness was never really there for me. Cause it was always just, Oh, going back to Europe again, since I couldn't remember my mom was pregnant when she brought me to Europe for the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the newness wasn't there, you know, the awe of the Coliseum or the Eiffel tower. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to sound all fancy, no, but no, I mean, it, um, <laughs> it was never there. And so I, you know, it's weird, but I, I I really like that feeling of showing up to a place and feeling that pit in your stomach like, what the hell did I get myself into? (laughs) And then the following challenge of overcoming that. And so that's been something I've uh, enjoyed. And that's, you know, to be honest, two years ago when I came to Columbia for the first time, I was like, you know, I was like, what the hell did I get myself into when that old lady was not sure if she wanted to let me go, you know, on my (laughs) own, (laughs) Um, Uh. sitting next to me on the plane. Um But uh with time and practicing my Spanish and my salsa skills, uh, I've, I've become more and more comfortable here.
1: Love that. Well, then that segues into what your your second edition of your guidebook. Talk to us about yep. that.
0: Yeah. So in 2015, I wrote my first book. It's a third. It's a guidebook uh, featuring 13 of Europe's top cities. You can name them. Uh, I'm sure London, Amsterdam, Dublin, Rome, Florence, Venice. Budapest, Prague, Berlin, Madrid, Barcelona. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something in there. But uh, uh, these are some of my favorite cities. They're, I think they're where most people go on their first and second visit to Europe. Um, and so I wanted to kind of make a very succinct summary of the top things to do on a three-day visit plus some options if you have extra time in any one of these amazing European cities. So uh, I figure the way I travel and the way most people travel these days – is by city hopping. So the the book is called Andy Steve's Europe: City Hopping on a Budget, and you can check that out on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, lo- your local bookstore, of course. And uh, the the news is that the second edition just came out in April of this year, two thousand eighteen. So um, uh, we've been getting great reviews and and feedback from that so far.
1: That's good. That's good. And I'll definitely make sure I put that in the show notes. But I, I love how you, you know, you're hacking the system and. Um, <laughs> You're encouraging people to to live outside of the bubble. That that's 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 something that I love. Just that reminder of what travel actually does. You and I, you know, we grew up in a position where we didn't necessarily have a choice, uh-huh. <laughs> but that experience is 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 um is led has led us to see that the world is bigger than most of us think it is, and it's in order for us to understand it, we have to actually experience it. So there there is that that element, and I think that's obviously why we're doing I'm doing a podcast and you're doing what you're doing with your book and 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 weekend an adventures can you um talk to us about that and why you decided to follow your father's footsteps
0: sure so i studied abroad in 2008 had the time of my life and me and my friends we realized wow we have three day weekends let's travel around from thursday night till you know monday first thing or or S- sunday evening so each weekend we'd go up to venice or to to prague or to the swiss alps or down to sicily and it just naturally felt to me to be the one to organize all these travel plans for my friends. So by the first weekend, I had like five or six friends coming along with me to, uh, what was it, Venice. Um The next weekend, 10 up to Switzerland. By the end of the semester, it was 35 friends but also random acquaintances that uh, that were taken along with me everywhere I was going. And that's when I realized, wow, there's a need here. There's an opportunity I'm uniquely experienced and placed to, to design something, some service for this kind of market. And so I went back to Notre Dame, finished my undergrad uh, in industrial design and Italian language and literature. But on the side, I was working on the business plan for this company. And that's what I started as soon as I graduated in 2010. Uh, and I've been running that ever since.
1: Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. I love that. I love that. And, and it's, I, I don't know, I just love hearing stories like that and I'm, I'm going to make sure we put that weekend student adventures in the, in the show notes but that's always so cool when you find your purpose and what i heard there is that you found your purpose and you and it was based on experiences you had but based on things you got to see other people do and you want to make sure that the the world is a safer place and it's a it's a more understanding place and you're doing mm-hmm. it with 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 your company so that that's, that's yeah a goal. and
0: you can check that out at wsaeurope.com. And uh, just like you're saying, we, we I love to work with local guides. So I go in, I set up the tours for somebody like myself who likes to learn about the city but also have a good time, go out at night and experience the best nightlife and so on. And so I designed the tour myself. And then I uh, run it a couple times, improve it, tweak it, and then um, hire, I find and hire a local guy to take over the tour for me to give it the local flavor. And that's been uh, something I've been committed to since day one. So that's been uh, a really fun, challenging, but, uh, and also rewarding project.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we'll make sure we give the audience access to that and uh, they can check that out. Uh, as a as a way to wrap up, though, I always ask my guests this question. My mission statement is: use your difference to make a difference. That's the foundation of everything that I do. So I'm curious, you, Andy, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
0: I like to think I empower young Americans to broaden their horizons and learn something from the from the diversity and uh, beautiful differences around the world. Um, and I, I'm I like again, I like to think. That I'm doing it that exactly at the right time in their lives. Hopefully, um, they go on with that, that broader perspective and, and can re- replace the the people who are currently governing our our uh, institutions.
1: <laughs> well, I'd say I'd say you're doing a good job, and thanks for being playing out the here. long game. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh-huh. I think it has to be a long game because um, it's, it's that's what it is. There's no shortcuts to to uh, bettering humanity. So, uh, thank mm-hmm. you for that. Um, I really, really enjoyed hearing your story. really enjoyed um, hearing your thoughts on on where the world is now, and particularly loved the differences that you you highlighted between Europe as a continent and the United States as a country. So I thank you for that.
0: Happy for it, man. Um, Thanks for connecting. I appreciate the call. Thanks for having me on the show as well.
1: Pleasure is mine. And ladies and gentlemen, until next time, use your difference to make a difference.
0: You've just been listening to the
1: Ask Told by Nomad's Podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.